0: This morning, um, just leave it open right there to that text, Luke eighteen verses one through eight. Um, I'm not going to uh, read through it again, as, as Rod has just read through the parable. Hopefully, he's, you've read it; you're familiar with it. So, if you need to to reread it as I'm as I'm talking, you, you've got it right in front of you there. And I want to encourage you: if you don't have a Bible, um, you, you you should be able to have one in front of your pew. We always have some extra Bibles in there in the back for anyone to take. They're pre-packaged. They haven't even been opened yet. And so if, if you or would know of someone that would be in need of a Bible, those are there for you to take as well. Okay? Today's message is simply entitled Tenacious Faith. That's a word I don't, ever, I don't have in my uh, vocabulary really until this message. Never used the word before. It kind of kept coming up in my study. So it's like, I'm going to work, I'm going to roll with the word tenacious faith. Tenacious defined as tending to keep a firm hold of something, clinging or adhering closely. Another word that you're all familiar with, which is right there in your NIV, uh, well, that is, that is the concept in your, in your Bible, is the word perseverance, so persevering faith. And speaking of perseverance, I have a story of perseverance. And when I tell these stories, some of them are going to be funny and some of them aren't going to be funny at all, but I'm going to try, okay? A young pastor was sitting in a restaurant eating lunch and he opened a letter from his mother and he just, he, he just got, uh, that, that he just got. And inside the letter was a $20 bill and the, and the minister thought, man, I could really use this right now. But as he finished his meal, he noticed a beggar outside on the sidewalk leaning against the light post. And he thought, you know what, that fellow could probably use the $20 a lot more than I. So he crossed out the name on the envelope and put the, put the $20 bill and wrote in big letters across the, the envelope in large letters the word persevere. So as to not to make a scene, he put the envelope under his arm and dropped it as he walked past the man. The man picked it up and read the message and smiled. The next day, while the pastor was eating his lunch, the same man tapped him on the shoulder and handed him a big wad of bills. Surprised, the young pastor asked him, what was this for? The man replied, this is your half of the winnings. Persevere came in first. He was it, it, The first horse at the racetrack yesterday, and the odds <laughs> paid 30 to 1. So as a pastor reading this, this is actually a hopeless story, you know? Like, this isn't, no, that's not what was supposed to happen. No, I don't like this story. And I want to share this because this is the opposite of what Jesus' parables were like. Jesus' parables were full of hope, and they were revolutionary. This parable was about prayer and about watchfulness. It's a call to perseverance and prayer and watchfulness, in other words, living in a way that pursues God. But the problem is that we get weary. We get tired. We think that prayer doesn't work. And when we get weary, we turn to coping mechanisms. We find coping mechanisms that don't fulfill. They just provide temporary distraction, maybe like television, like drinking, like addictive habits, like pornography, and yes, even like Facebook. My wife and I were talking with someone the other day and saying, do you you notice how like this thing is, this Facebook thing, it is so unfulfilling. You can sit here and do this all day, and when you're done, do you feel any better no, just I just wasted time, and I just feel like blah, and it, it, it does nothing for you. It's like it almost promises, like it gets our attention. Oh, I want to see what they're, oh, that's so neat, oh, that's so And then, then by, the, by the time we're all done with it, we've done nothing but simply waste time. Now, there are people that use this to be encouragers, and, and, and instead of just sticking a, a like or something, they'll send something to someone to encourage them and affirm them. And I love watching people use that, use Facebook with that way. But, the, but for many, it is nothing more than a coping mechanism to detour away from what is really happening in life and things that they don't want to think about and find something else to think about. And what is happening in this parable is Jesus is offering another solution. And really, you could the solution is, is right here in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Nick's got that scripture right up there for you. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And here's what he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, meaning like the shame of the widow. This message today is going to be all about shame and shamefulness. So mark this verse in your Bible because this is a great one to always reference for what it is we're called to do today. Jesus scorned the shame so that no one else would have to feel the shame of the cross. And I know none of us get crucified today. But the cross was a symbol that you are not worthy to live. You are not worthy to be a part of society. You are inferior to others. He scorned the shame that anyone would ever feel that way. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and said, consider him who endured such oppositions from sinners. And then here's what he says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is offering an eternal Solution, faith, but maybe not just the simple faith that you've heard before. This parable talks to us about persevering faith, tenacious faith, the kind of faith that hangs on with great intensity. Let's pray as we look into this text. God, you are present with us today because your spirit dwells in the hearts of men and women who have said yes to you. What an awe-inspiring truth the living God is here this morning. The living God is here and he's here to remind us how near he is, to remind us that he's listening, to remind us that he's waiting and ready to respond to us, but also to sense the sovereign, suffering God reaching out his arms, longing for a deeper relationship with each one of us. So Lord, may we hear your call today. And may we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The two key characters in this parable are a widow and a judge. The widow should have received, now this is a parable, so Jesus doesn't say, he just tells the story. He doesn't say where this judge is, what culture it's in. But if this was a Jewish judge, you know, the widow would have had special protections. Exodus 22, 22 through 24 says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. And my anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Yeah, I think the Lord has a heart for the widows. The Lord has a heart for the oppressed. And this follows an ongoing theme in the book of Luke that I've been, been a Christian since I was 19 And I've read this gospel many times, and I have no idea how I missed it. But I don't know if you've noticed, as I've been preaching to you, this theme of poverty in the book of Luke, it just doesn't go away. We sense a God that is constantly reminding us of the poor among us that have greater needs than the rich do, and about what we are called to do with our resources. And here he's bringing this up once again about the widow, that there are people here that are experiencing injustices every day, not illegitimate ones, but legitimate ones, and no one is reaching out to them. And so Jesus uses this, this metaphor again, and we keep seeing this theme coming up time and time again. And if you were a metaphor in these days, I mean you were you were locked into a class system. If you if you are I mean if you are a widow, that means at this point you've lost all the other people in your life, all the men, your children. Um, Your husband, family, there is no one that can go to court for you. And so that's the significance of Jesus saying this this widow went in alone and is pleading on her behalf. And so let's consider that metaphor of the widow and the ones among us that have legitimate needs. I tried a new project this week. Um, that I don't know if anyone's got a chance to see, but I'm going to kind of uh, promote it a little bit more in the upcoming weeks. I'll tell you how this began. Um, our kids are getting older. They're, they're 12 years old now. And I have a, a bit more time to attempt some things like this. And so we just wanted to find ways to help get our, fa- our kids to find ways to serve hands-on and experience volunteering, experience making an impact in someone's life. And so we've just been looking for, the, I've been looking for those opportunities and been finding them. And so I've wanted to include you in that process. And while I'm doing that, I figured I might as well include others in the county so we can make it aware. They, they can become aware of the resources that are right around the corner and ways that you can volunteer and make an impact. So I've already told you about one, which is uh, the Bistro. It's a pay it forward concept restaurant right here in Eden, which is what we're going to do on Saturday. A few of you have signed up to serve and others you may pop in just to have a meal. And many of you already know all about Brethren Disaster Ministries. Um, we have scratched the May trip. I've, I'm not going to go on the May trip because it's already booked and there's no other opportunities for any of you to go. But we, I've reset a November date. And what I'm talking about is I interviewed Nicole Myron at the Bistro. I also interviewed Burton Helen Wolf to tell, them a little, tell me a little bit about their ministry. So instead of having to bring them here to church... You can go on the podcast, which is now on our website and will eventually be, uh, this week, it'll be accessible to through a podcast to anyone outside of our website. But you can go there now and hear a little bit more about what the Bistro does, uh, more about what Brethren Disaster Ministries d- does, and we're also going to be in touch with uh, United Way and possibly the HIT Foundation and possibly Habitat for Humanity. All local resources right here in your county Ways for you, whatever time commitment you can provide, to get involved and make an impact. And so... This is just one small step forward about being able to use the resources that we have, which could be time, which could be your skills. It could just simply be your presence um, to make an impact right here in our county. And consider the cries of those that have legitimate needs. I, I just think as I sat with Bert and Helen on Friday, you know, the floods have just happened in Nebraska and Iowa. And when you hear about things like that, as a, as a Christ follower, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to feel? And it's kind of sad that sometimes all that ever goes through our head is, man, I'm glad that's not me. But as a Christ follower, we're called to lament. We're actually called to feel what they feel. And yeah, to care a bit. And if that's ever happened to you, you probably wonder, well, what could I do? Well, how could I take a step forward with a little bit of caring? And that's what Brethren Disaster Ministries provides opportunities for you to do. If you can't go and give a week of your life and be on site in those disaster areas, on April 11th, they're going to be packing up hygiene kits that will be sent across to these different areas. Uh, that's going to be in Union on Millridge Road at 7 p.m. That's a Thursday night. I'll be talking to you more about that. But that's going to be a, an April opportunity to serve in a way to make an impact nationally. And so I just want to take a couple moments and plug that because we see this metaphor right here that Jesus uses about a widow, someone who has legitimate needs that in this case no one is standing up for except herself. But there's another character in this story, and that's the judge. The judge in this story doesn't feel shame. He does not care. The text says he does not care about what people think. He's the the judge. He's the one in charge. He only cares about himself. But even in this story, the, the NIV has stronger language than a lot of the others. The NIV says, I will see that this woman gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Other versions just say that eventually she's just going to wear me out. So there's an gr- interesting parallel that Jesus is making with the judge and himself. The parallel, here's this person who cares nothing about, this, about these people. But because of this woman's persistence, he, he cares about himself. He eventually will respond. And The irony, we often think of God this way. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. So we have, we have a widow and we have a judge. And I want to talk a little bit more about the judge in a minute. But this, there was a partner parable to this. Whenever I, when, as I was studying this this week, this other parable in Luke 11, 5 through 8, kept coming up. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there or I will read it to you. Nick, again, has got it up on the screen. Luke eleven five 5 through 8. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Everybody say shameless audacity. Audacity is just a fun word to use, you know. You have the audacity to take the chips off of my plate? Just just a great word to use. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, I I, I want you to, this parable is is, is probably bring, being honest, I think this parable brings home the point better than the parable that we're reading now. We understand a widow needing justice and that's what the, the widow has come for. Someone has wronged her and nobody is pleading her case. Now, in this, in this story, we have to be reminded that there was just a huge uh, culture of hospitality. We talked about this a lot more at Christmas time, um, remembering about how Mary and Joseph, they were going back to what was somewhat of their hometown. They had family there. They should have been welcomed, and they, she was pregnant. They should have been welcomed into a home, and someone should have been taking care of them. And so what's happening in this parable in, in Luke 11 was... A guy has has come at midnight to his friend's door, and what is it that he wants? He wants to show hospitality to someone else in need. Now, it's so strange because when we read this parable, we think that the guy that's knocking on the door, or not even knocking on the door, yelling up to his friend, is the one that's like out of line here. Like, you don't do that, man. You don't go in the middle of the night and ask your neighbor for something so you can show hospitality to someone else. So in our American culture, this parable makes no sense at all. So let me take you into Jewish culture. Rather, instead of doing that, let me give you an American parable that would make a lot more sense, okay? So let's say here's what just happened, okay? This guy is walking through town. He's just, his son has just been shot. His son is getting ready to die. He's walking into town. He's going to one of his closest friends' house. And this neighborhood is so tight and so close knit together that when someone starts yelling out, they don't have insulation like we do, right? When someone starts yelling out, everybody in the whole town hears it. So here this guy is coming into town to his best friend's house saying, hey, I need some help. My son, he's going to die if you don't come to the door. Now, this guy doesn't respond to that. Who is shamed in this moment? The guy that's getting asked. Like everybody in town is trying to sleep, but they hear this going on because this guy keeps persevering and persevering and persevering. i like, dude, why don't you do something? His son is going to die. This is a good friend of yours. What is wrong with you? Now, this is actually the parable that Jesus is portraying here. That if someone is knocking on your door in the middle of the night, it's urgent. It matters. And if everybody else in town is hearing what may have been seen first is you know, is, is inappropriate, is a bit rude, is poor timing. Now the shame of the matter gets transferred. Where we would be think it would be shameful to go to your neighbor's door and ask them for something while they're sleeping. In this parable, the shame is being transferred to the person who's being asked. Eventually, if they're persistent enough, they should respond. This is a need that must be important, and you have what they need, so why won't you give it to them? Do you understand this parable a little better now? This is what Jesus is portraying. Both parables, the the one that I read in in Luke 18, as well as the one in Luke 11, they they are telling us that persistence works. Now, persistence does not manipulate the will of God. Philippians 2.13 tells us, for it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So persistence isn't necessarily a new idea at the point of Christ. But it was something that was discussed among the rabbis. Because just before Jesus came, there was a guy called Choni. And he got the rabbinic name Choni the circle Drawer. Because what he did is he went out and he prayed, and it was a time of of famine where they had needed rain, crops were dying, people were losing, uh, people were going into poverty, people people were losing some of their farms. And he went, he was a rabbi, and he went and drew a circle around himself, and he said to the Lord, I'll actually read you the story if I brought it. Which I didn't. But he said, uh, he said, I am, I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to, to pray until the Lord brings rain. So as he stands in that circle, he doesn't move. Eventually, the Lord begins to bring a little bit of rain, then, then, then a little, little more, then a lot and so much that he had to pray to ask the Lord to stop. Now, there was debate about this guy because one camp of rabbis said, wow, look at this man's faith. The other camp of rabbis said, This is rude. You don't, this is the living God. You don't come before him with a demand. You can't do it. So there was debate about, you can't, you don't do that with God. You don't demand that he do something. And the other camp was saying, wow, look at this man's faith. So Jesus, with these parables, Jesus is actually speaking to this debate. And what your NIV translates is shameless audacity. Now, I told you before that parables weren't just cute stories to be talked about. When Jesus told parables, they were revolutionary. It was his way of of sharing something without being way too frank. It was his way of giving them something to turn their understanding upside down. So if uh, perseverance was discussed among rabbis, then what was the new concept here? And what I'm telling you is because Jesus encourages tenaciousness. He encourages shameless audacity. See, both of these parables, because they were revolutionary, because the idea and the language that Jesus is using in the Greek and the parallel word in the Hebrew, I'm not sharing them with you, but, but they were, there was so much debate because nobody could determine whether these words had actually ever been used in a positive light. Jesus takes a negative example, like, you don't act this way with God. And he is now saying, yeah, you do. Go crazy. <laughs> no shame. No, I mean, shameless audacity. You can pursue me this way. What was normally considered rude or irreverent by Jesus in this parable is now being declared as a model of how to hang on to God. So Jesus took the choni, the circle drawers, work to another level. He welcomes perseverance after him. He welcomes tenaciousness. He welcomes shameless audacity. So listen, do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning, church? Is that we often feel like, well... I don't want to bug God. I mean, I haven't gone to church the last couple of weeks. I haven't tithed like I should. I said too many cuss words yesterday. I pointed at the guy with the middle finger in traffic the other day. And I know that there's people that are worse off than me. And I'm sure that God might hear my prayer, but I'm at the bottom of the list. I want to tell you that's not true. The living God is not an easily offended human being. He is not overly sensitive. He doesn't have to be somewhere else. He is not annoyed by you. He is not trying to pretend he is listening, but really self-absorbed. Some of you might want to say amen. He is omnipresent. If you want his attention, you have it. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is something that you need that you don't have, he has it. He is omniscient. It means he's all-knowing. If there's something you don't know... He knows it. He's the Alpha and Omega, according to Revelation 1.8. He is the bread of life that you can partake of, according to John 6.48. He is the God who can comfort you, according to Isaiah 51.12. He is the Lord who heals you in Exodus 15.26. He is the way, the truth, the life in John 14.6. He is with you to deliver you in Jeremiah 1.8. I want to rest on that last one right now. He is with you to deliver you. Often, what we really need to be delivered from is ourselves our own worry that consumes us, our own fear that consumes us, our own insecurities, our own pride our own destructive decisions that we keep making, our own just poor decisions that we keep making and over and over again. He says, I am with you to deliver you. And the Lord is asking for your zealous, shameless, what others may say, offensive pursuit or someone may tell you, you can't speak to God that way. You can't, you can't approach God with that much radicalness. He's saying, yes, you can. Because he can take it. See, in the case of the widow in this parable, that's all she had. All she had left was perseverance. No one was going to stand up on her behalf. She, was, she had no. none of her own resources anymore. She, all of that stuff had been exhausted. All she could do was keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back and reminding the judge, you're going to have to kill me because I'm not going to go away. But if you kill me, everybody else in this town is going to know that you're a jerk and you might actually get harmed because of what you do to me. She knew what she was doing. She had nothing but perseverance, tenacity, and desperation. This is all that she could do to get what she wanted. I just want you to understand today, this is a parable It says in verse Luke 18.1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they could always pray and not give up. Jesus is saying to you as he's saying to his disciples, don't stop coming after me. I know there's going to be times when you don't feel like it. I know there's going to be times when it seems like your life is falling apart all around me. You know what I want you to do in those moments? Cry out to me. Be honest with me. God can handle it if you're rude. He can handle your shameless audacity. And then this parable concludes with a line. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And the kind of faith he's referencing here is persevering, tenacious, shameless faith. I no longer my own persistence. That's, that's the irony of both of these parables. What begins as something shameful. You don't keep coming back to a judge that's denied your claim. What's wrong with you? You don't go to someone in the middle of the night. What's wrong with you? You don't keep petitioning God for something you think that you need. What's wrong with you? Through persistence... In this parable, and even as the Lord is telling us, the shame is transferred. As he says, will not this judge, will not this man in the middle of the night respond? Just as you, my child, who continue to come after me, will I not respond to you? I'm a loving God. I will not give my kids, I will not give my children snakes. I will not give them something to uh, to harm them. I want to respond to you. The problem is often that you don't want to come after me. This is the invitation in this parable. So faith in God is the basis of prayer. But faith in definition is determined persistence. Persistence based on knowing who God is. Some of us pray and we really don't even mean it. We just pray because we know we're supposed to. So what the the parable is calling for is an authenticity and burden to know who the living God is and to believe that he can. It's all across as we close. I just want to encourage you to bow your heads in this moment as we have a short moment here of reflection. I want you to settle it in this moment of reflection. Settle it in your heart that God is good. I'm going to say that again. God is good. He wants what is best for you. And if you can come into that agreement, then maybe you can admit in this moment that some of what you want for yourself and maybe even what you want for others isn't what is best for you. But God, your ways are better than mine. So there's a simple confession, whether you say that with your mouth or whether you just say that in your heart. Here's the confession. Your ways are better than mine. So I'm coming after you. See, I know that's cute because the pastor's telling you to think that or maybe to say that right now. But in this room, I believe somebody may get the tenaciousness like the widow. Somebody may really need something that they've been asking for a while. And in this moment, they they come to the conclusion, you know what, I'm tired of... praying religious prayers that I've always prayed. And, and, and there comes a moment where it's time to open our mouth and cry out to God. Open our mouths and cry out to the living God. I wanna pray for you. Well, Lord, I thank you for everyone that is here this morning and that has heard this word. I pray they would hear loud and clear that there is an open door To approach God in communication with everything that you've been feeling, everything you've been going through, he longs for us to come after him with some tenaciousness, even if it seems flat out rude sometimes, the living God can take it. Because what happens in our moments of prayer is that you begin to align us with your will. We're reminded that maybe the things that we want are the things that we need, and we we see what it is you want, we can get a glimpse of what it is you want to do in our life and in our moments of honesty, of authenticity. Can we really feel? Can we really see? Can we really experience the living God and his presence that is available to us? Thank you for this parable, Lord, because you're calling us to hold on. Don't stop. If you've become mediocre in your pursuit Uh, dig a little deeper, be reminded of the things that, that matter most and come after me with greater tenacity and shameless audacity. Lord, your ways are better than mine, so I'm coming after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.